In Acts chapter 2, it's clear that the disciples understand plainly that Jesus is the son of David, ruling over the universe. Jesus came to earth and he proclaimed the kingdom of God had arrived. We read several of the parables about what this means. The kingdom is a kingdom which always grows and like a mustard seed, like the little bit of yeast that works through the dough, like the seed which falls on good soil and produces a hundredfold crop. But the fact that God's kingdom is going to be finally restored means that inevitably there will be a judgment on those who have rebelled against God. A full consummation, a full restoration of the kingdom of God means that God's righteousness and justice reign and therefore we face judgment. Again, the parable of the the weeds, the crops and the weeds are separated by the angels and the weeds are gathered and tossed into a fire where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Again, the parable of the great catch of fish The rotten fish are thrown away into the fire where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. But the good news is, and even in those harrowing parables, is that the good crops are taken in. There are fish who are kept. Because in his kindness, God, in establishing his kingdom, transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Jesus has taken our sins on himself. Our sins have been transferred to him, our punishment placed on him, and he has taken that punishment so that his righteousness could be transferred to us. And his resurrection means that by sharing in his righteousness, we share in his new life, in God's kingdom finally restored. And so we have forgiveness and peace with God. Romans 5 is my favorite chapter, if you're allowed to have favorite chapters. It begins like this. Therefore, since we are justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand. And we boast in our hope of sharing the glory of God. It is harrowing. There is a judgment earlier on today. Marty referenced Isaiah in his prayer and it made me flick to Isaiah 34 and 35. I was still listening to you, Marty, I promise. Um, and, and I was amazed, that, as Marty had mentioned about you know, walking in the way and hearing the voice, this is the way, walk in it. But actually there's so much here about the kingdom. God says, see a king will reign in righteousness and rulers will rule with justice. God says he's going to bring his kingdom, but this brings with it judgment. Come near you nations and listen. Pay attention you peoples. Let the earth hear and all that is in it. The Lord is angry with all the nations, his wrath upon their armies. He will totally destroy them and he will give them to slaughter. Their slain will be thrown out. Their dead bodies will send up a stench. The mountains will be soaked with blood. And as you go on, God talks about a great plumb line by which people shall be judged. But then comes the joy of those who are part of his kingdom. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon, they will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. 
Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf be unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. The redeemed will walk there. A highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. Gladness and joy will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee away. No one living in Zion will say, I am ill and the sins of those who dwell there will be forgiven blown away by the fact that actually this judgment, which sounds really harrowing and awful, and it is awful for those who are outside of the kingdom, but that brings with it the consummation of God's kingdom and the greatness of joy and the removal of all pain and all suffering. We'll finally be God's people in God's place under God's rule and receiving his blessing. There will be no gap between Sunday and Monday. It sounds like something you would want to pray for, don't you think? So what about the practical side of this? If this is the kingdom of God, well then how should this coming kingdom shape our attitude in the present? Well, when we pray your kingdom come, we're praying for two things at once. First, the gradual spread of the kingdom in the present as people hear Jesus' words and are brought into the kingdom as they repent and come under his rule and receive his blessing. And second, we are praying for the ultimate return of Jesus in glory. It's a prayer for the kingdom then to grow here on earth as lives return to God and receive new life in Christ. Andrew Lincoln, who's a New Testament uh, scholar, has put it like this. He says about this line in the Lord's Prayer, he says, it's one of the primary means for cooperation in God's mission in the world and requests supporting the essentials of Jesus' prayer will be answered because they conform to God's purposes for this world in making known the divine name through Jesus. Scott mentioned last week on the idea of praying, hallowed be your name, and that's actually an evangelistic prayer because as God's name is hallowed, as his name is made known, as it's treated as holy and recognized as holy, well, that's part and parcel of God making himself known to people. So as we pray, your kingdom come, we're asking that that would happen. So when you pray this prayer, well, pray for opportunities to share about this kingdom with your unbelieving friends and family. Remember, they belong to the kingdom of the world, so it won't always be easy. But this is God's work. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He's going to make it happen. So we want to pray in that vein. Pray for evangelism here in church. Pray for outreach that goes on. Pray for organizations. Pray for people that we reach through that. Pray that people would find Jesus. Pray for missionaries that we support as a church family or others that you know. Pray that the kingdom would come. Pray for Sundays. Remember the whole inaugurated but not yet consummated thing? Well, we do get a taste of it as we gather together. The church are God's people in God's place under his rule and receiving his blessing. We're not perfect yet. It's not consummated yet. But pray the church would be that, a place where we meet with God, where we bow the knee and we submit to him and to what he says through his word and where we receive blessing from him. But then secondly, it is a prayer for the end. Uh, Max Turner, who's another New Testament guy, he describes it like this. He says that this petition of the prayer is primarily a prayer that God will act so decisively in judgment and salvation that his glory will be unveiled and all as a result are enabled to see him as the holy almighty king he truly is. 
It's thus a prayer for the end, for the consummation of the kingdom of God and for the bringing into being of the new earth and the heavens that the end entails. I wonder if I asked you how you feel about that, what you would say. I don't think we often pray for the end of the world. I think when we think of the end, we, we sort of, we're a bit scared about it and we just hope that we'll get to live our lives for the Lord and die and go and be with him and then we'll return with him and well then we, we don't have to face it from this end. I don't think we articulate that very often, but I think that's probably where we are. We're probably not that comfortable with praying for the end of the world to happen. But if we do really believe that Jesus has brought about the restoration of the kingdom of God, then I think we should. His return marks the end of all that's wrong here on earth, all our pain and all our sadness, all our trouble. And even if we have a comfortable life here, even if we are blessed and are able to enjoy good gifts that God has given us, how much greater will they be on the new earth? Paul said that all he once thought gain, he now counted loss, rubbish, garbage, whatever translation you want to use, compared to knowing Jesus and having the hope of the resurrection. We don't fear the end because we know what the end brings. It brings glory. So we can pray, really, we can pray with the apostle, come Lord Jesus, even so, come quickly. So don't be discouraged today if you really identified with the first part of the sermon, not the Romanian countryside bit, the bit with the chasm between Sunday and the rest of the week. If you really identified with that, well, pray your kingdom come. Pray that those around you who don't belong to the kingdom of God would come to know the Savior. And pray for the full revelation of his kingdom at the end, because then there will be no gap. We will be God's children, living in God's place, under his rule, and enjoying his blessing. So let's pray to him. Our loving and gracious God, we thank you that you have brought us into your family, into your kingdom. Lord, may we each again have a fresh sense of Jesus as our king, the lamb on the throne, worthy of all of our praise and our adoration. Lord, as we gather together as your people in this place, may we have more and more of a taste of being his people, living, receiving his blessing and the hope of a resurrection life. So Lord, we do pray that your kingdom would come. May it come here in this place. May your kingdom come in our homes and in our workplaces and in our land and in our world. But Lord, ultimately we pray for the restoration of all things that we hope for in Christ. Even so, Lord, come quickly. May your kingdom come in Jesus' name. Amen.